This program is brought to you by a grant from the Dufo de Monzo Foundation, Biscuit Basket Consolidated Brands Incorporated, the New York State Board of Compliance, and viewers like you. A history of parks and bridges in Greenville. Trick your friends, scare the shit out of your relatives, or keep for your own personal use after you shuffle off this mortal coil. Churros, deep fried jalapeno poopers, Doritos, the famous Only one man with the power to save the day. Dick Dragon, come to And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hello and good evening, and from an undisclosed spot somewhere in the internet under a rock covered with 50 tons of lead and then bulldozed over, it is Two True Freaks, The Freak Files. I'm Chris Honeywell and I'm here with my co-host Scott Gardner. How's it going, man? Good. And we are going to talk about generally, well, the, the paranormal, but this is all spurred by the passing of the great the late great Art Bell, the the original host of of Art Bell Coast to Coast, and uh, yeah, we were just generally talking about Art Bell and his his, his replacement and uh, and how we got started on the paranormal. You know, what the hell did you do if you were interested in all the weird stuff before the internet came along? We've had twenty years of internet. Now, if you wanna if you wanna see pictures of chupacabras, you can fill up your your browser with them. But back in the day, it was <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't so easy. It wasn't exactly impossible because it was on TV and stuff. But um, yeah, I, I figured a good place to start off would be just talking about coast to coast a little bit. I you was were, trying to remember where I actually got hooked on that because I remember. I remember the last like overnight job that I worked um, right before I moved away from Georgia. That's where I probably did the the bulk of it. Uh huh. You know, listening to the show because I worked overnight, you know, so I, I could I could basically listen to the whole show. I I know I definitely did that. It seems to me there was there was another. It might be when I was working. Because I worked for Frito Lay for a time, and I would have to get up like ridiculously early in the morning, and and I think I might have listened to it when I was driving. Like and you, you, know, you would like catch the last hour or something. Yeah, yeah. It, it that's exactly what it was. It was like catching like I, yeah, you know, you you just hit on it because yeah, that that jogged a memory. That's what it was. Is I would I would hear like the last couple hours of it before it went off, and it wasn't until later when I worked the overnight job where I could actually hear the show start to finish. Cause I remember that being something of a novelty when I could actually hear the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah. And the beginning yeah. and the end of the show were, were different. You know, they had a different yeah. feel to it. By the end of the show, he was like, let people, you know, you had random people call it in and stuff like that. And it, it would get a little weirder. It get weirder. Right. The later you, you would listen. I, I was in a, I wasn't working a, like an overnight shift, but I was working a job 
where I wouldn't get home till 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And I would be all wound up from work. And I didn't have to be at work the next day till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So I was, you know, routinely, like, getting up at noon, you know, or something like that. So I would stay up till 4 or 5 in the morning. Probably, usually, four, you know, if I stayed up till 5, it depended on how good Coast to Coast was. You know, it, it, right. it, 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 I would, if, if, if it was a good show, I would, I would be up till five and, uh, and I, and I would just start and, you know, I, I would listen to it all the, all the way through. I didn't have a television. I didn't have a telephone. I had a radio in my room and like a CD player, tape player, something like, you know, listen to music, but, and that just became part of my daily routine. It's sort of worked into my routine a little more lately because I go to bed I I go to bed usually right about the time that coast to coast starts and uh and I work a job where I I get dirty so I take my I take a shower at night before I go to bed after I get out of work so usually about the time I'm hitting the shower is about the time coast to coast is starting so right. late, lately my routine is to be I'll hop in the shower and I'll listen to coast to coast and I'll see who his guest is going to be and how it's going. And if it's going good, it moves into the bedroom, baby. I'll, I'll go to bed and turn it, <laughs> turn it on on the radio and, and listen to it as I fall asleep. And sometimes I'll wake up at 4 in the morning and there'll be some guy going like, Ah, then they inserted the, the, it into my ear. And, and they'll be going, oh, okay. And I'll be like, oh, things have shifted. <laughs> I'm not listening to the same person anymore. Some random caller. But, um... I, I, I was griping to you when we were talking about the show about like I'm I'm not I'm not happy with the state of coast to coast a hundred percent these days. I think it's suffered without art bell I'm not the biggest fan of George Norrie. I think he's kinda kinda doofy and asked really bad questions. <laughs> but I still listen. Like the other night I when we were when we were talking about this planning this show, like the night before I got in the shower and it was Linda Moulton Howe. And I was like, oh, thank God. I know Linda Moulton Howe. At least she's going to talk some quality stuff, you know? Right. Lately, there's been a lot of people on because there's been a lot of talk about UFO disclosure. So he has all these people who want to talk about UFOs and UFO disclosure. And all they do is just spin their wheels like all night. You know, they don't yep. talk about anything specific. They're just like, hey. You know, all I know is this guy and this guy are talking about it. It's just around the corner. It's like, okay, can you not make that last three hours? They have been saying that for for years and years and years. It's just around the corner. It's just around the corner. I, you know, I, I'm I'm sick of that whole that whole thing. Get, I, because I'll be honest with you. It's funny. You, you know, you said tell me it's around the corner the... once, and then start telling me cool stories about you know, <laughs> right. I want, you know. That's the thing is I'm not listening to coast to coast to get to get the facts. Sometimes you're getting some facts. I'm listening to hear some good stories, you know, and that's what Art Bell was a master of. He was not there. Like I, I, I was putting a lot of thought into this. Like if I did, if I had like my own paranormal radio show, um, first of all, it would not last because I would want to be I would want to be critically thinking about it and I would question you know when somebody you know every once in a while you know you would hear on Art Bell somebody would make some assertion on it that was the most ridiculous easy <laughs> to just debunk thing in the world and George 
and Art Bell would be like, oh, yeah? Well, go on with that, you know? And I'd be like, no! <laughs> Explain to me how that works, because that does not work. That's just stupid, you know? And, uh, and that would be the end of my show, because I wouldn't have any guests after the first time, you know? And, and Art Bell was a genius. He's like, yeah, I'll just... I'll just keep them talking. It's not important that it's true. It's important that it's a good story that keeps you in, right. engaged with it. Well, if it's true, that you could go off later and like do some research or reading about it and be like, oh, that guy was full of shit. But at the moment well, of listening, you want to hear something fun, you know? That was one of the big differences between the two of them is that Art Bell, as, as I understand the story, kind of got sucked into the whole paranormal thing. That was not... Um, that was not even the original focus of Coast to Coast AM. Right. Initially, right. it, it kind of went down that rabbit hole and, and never really came back out. But he was, at the end of the day, he was, you know, a radio personality. You know, he was a radio talk show host that just eventually evolved into this is what the subject of the show became. Yeah. Or as opposed to everyone that's followed him, whether it was uh, George Norrie or, or, um, Ian Punnett, you know, those guys came into something that was already established where, where the conversation was already happening. And I right. think that There's was expectations to it. Too. Right. And I think that was the di biggest difference between the two of them, because I, you know, I really enjoyed Art Bell. But once he he left and, and he became kind of semi regular, I, I can actually remember sometimes when he would come back um, not enjoying the show as much because a lot of it was that like you know you can't go home again syndrome because right. he he would kind of meander and it was almost like I know there were times when I when I really sensed that he was kind of it was like oh, I'm kind of tired of this shit I wish yeah I he could was kind of not there yeah yeah exactly yeah and a lot of that had to do you know didn't he he lost his wife or something right something I think he lost his wife I think he had like. I don't know exactly the nature of him, but I think he had health problems. You know, I think yeah. I think he was a chain. Sm I think he was a chain smoker. Yeah, too. but I mean, there there were a number of weird things that happened because I remember initially when, at least during the years that I was listening, there was that one big break that he took where it was very mysterious. It's like I can't talk about it. Something yep. weirds happened. I just got to go. And he and he went and it and that's really that was the first time that the that the show really changed, and then it was there was another bit of drama and that's I think that's when his wife died and if I remember right she kind of died under like weird or mysterious circumstances, mm -hmm. and after that I I kind of felt like his heart went out of the show, and that at least in my memory that's kind of when um, when Nori really stepped up full time, I I liked Nori you know I I, I never felt he was art but i didn't feel like he was trying to be art either the, but the biggest difference between the two of them honestly because I, I know that you're not really a fan of nori and and you were saying about you know how bell would have people on and sometimes he would let them run and sometimes a, a lot of times i feel like he would let them run because he thought they were full of shit but also yeah. i can remember instances where he would pretty much tell people i think you're full of shit without coming right out and saying it but pretty much saying it whereas nori i think the biggest difference between the two of them is that i think art always pretty much kept an open mind about things right to, to a certain degree until his bullshit filter went off Whereas Nori, I think Nori's already made up his mind on a lot of the subjects that they talk about on the show. 
and so it, it's a it's a different feel. Yeah. And I don't know that one is necessarily better than the other, but I, I think if you're going to do a show like that, having your own um, preconceptions and then not easily letting those go if they're challenged or, or sometimes even outright, um, I don't want to say disproven or whatever because of the subject matter, you can't really disprove But you know what I mean? When, when, when someone present something that that kind of flies in the face of your of your preconceptions of it i i think by the very nature of what they were presenting you you've got to be very open-minded you've got to be willing to you know yeah. to go hmm maybe there's maybe i've been wrong maybe there's something else to this and i don't i i never really felt like that was nori you know what i mean right our whereas belt- art I, I think he very much had he was very open-minded about things and I think at the end of the day, if you were to ask him, so so what conclusions can we draw from all this crazy shit that you've talked about over the years? I, I think he would kind of laugh and go, I don't know that you could draw any conclusions. Right. But it sure is entertaining and fascinating. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, I think he got... I, I, I think he always seemed to have the attitude to me that he might not, you know, believe the person or whatever, but he has him there. I got them here. I got them on the air. I I might as well let them speak their piece and let them right. Let them run with it. And you know, you would have the guys like uh, say David Icke and Whitley Strieber, who he had a right. rapport with. He he had to know that that like half the stuff they were saying was bibble babble, but the way they said it was you know. You would start with either either one of those. Take your pick of Whitley Stryber or David Icke, and they'd start talking about one subject. And then, different from a ramble, they would lead it into another topic and connect it to that, and then into another one and connect it to that, and then into another one and connect it to that, and then connect it to something, start to connect it to something that that just seemed incredible and ready to tie it all together and then it was time for a commercial break and right. you just and then you could sit through those then you could make it through those 10 minutes of of you know diet aid commercials and and promos and weather reports and the news report to come back to it to find out where it was going and then it would go to that spot and then it would just start all it, you'd think it would, he was coming to a conclusion now he's just coming to another one and he wind it right up to the next to the next break and and those guys were great but he was also really good with taking the people that were kind of duds and and working them into something not always you know or sometimes he had stuff that he was really successful with that he did a lot that would just drive me nuts like i remember when i'd turn on art bell and he'd have one of the rod rod people remember the rods did did you ever hear it The, the rod people the, the rods are these... Uh, uh, hold, hold, hold a few bars. They're these creatures that, that fly around in the air, and you can catch them on camera every once in a while, and they look like a rod of light, and they'll, they'll fly around in oh, the... Okay, yeah, yeah. I and, didn't and they turn out to be... Ball, but yeah. And when you see the videos of them, you go like... As, it was as, just like a dust speck or something as that a caught cameraman, the light, right? As a cameraman, you go... Oh, it's a bug fly or a piece of dust or something flying really close to the camera to where it's that out of focus where it looks like the thing the floaters on your eyes, and that's because and it's they're right. like yeah these you can see them flying through the air and it's like 
no, those are bugs four inches away from the camera. You know, you just don't know <laughs> what it is. But at the same time, back in the day, on Art Bell, you, you couldn't look at the video of it. You just heard the guy telling the story of it, and you were just like, oh, good right. lord. And then I would, you know, finally track down, you know, video of it and be like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> That's what they made. <laughs> and then there were other people that I just thought were jokes, but they were entertaining. Like, you remember Backward Talking Guy from Australia? He would play, he would take whoever was in charge politically and all the celebrities, he would take quotes from them and play them backwards and and show you what they really meant. Oh my God, yes. Holy shit, dude, your memory for this is a hell of a lot better than mine because I'd, I'd forgotten that. The things I remembered was probably the, the one I would, next to anybody that would, because I, I had my set ufo people you know what i mean there right. are certain set ufo people that if this guy's on i'm gonna love this episode no matter what it is yes. and it was like uh god i've forgotten their names but there was the one guy that was convinced about like the stuff on the moon what the hell was his name oh he wrote a, he wrote a book that i always wanted to read but anyway you had oh, like your, your I set say, he had UFO his guys. lear was it lear uh, no, 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 not Lear. No, we'll come back to we'll come back to Lear. But yeah, Lear was always almost always a good one. Um, he he to me seemed like he kind of seriously went off the deep end there at the end. But uh, you had like Lear, you moon. had Moon Guy. Yeah, yeah, that's where he kind of lost me. Um, you had like the 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 Egypt guys, you know, with the pyramids and all that. But the the oh, one yeah. that I probably looked to the most next to all those was they had these people and to me they seemed extremely credible just in the sense of if it was all bullshit they were they were the ones being bullshitted that they weren't the ones that were perpetrating it you know what i mean right right and this was the people i forget what they called it but they had a specific name for what they did but basically it was this like older couple and i think they had end up recruiting some other people to do it too and they would go like to cemeteries and old houses and things, and they would just run a uh, a tape recorder, and they would, you know, just just like you and I used to do when we were kids, just with a just with an off the shelf, you know, no nonsense tape recorder, and they would just record audio, and then they would go back later and they would listen to it and they would find artifacts in the audio that yes. sounded voices that that and has... that shit tell me, you're sitting in your car in the yep. employee parking lot at three o'clock in the morning eating your lunch and you're too scared to get back out and walk back in and go to work because that shit has freaked you out that's a good show and they, they used to do that to me all the time i mean it was it was fascinating but terrifying you know what i mean i'm trying they to remember some... what the name it's like evms or something like that or yes, the, the, yes. there's a name. Yeah. it's now become of uh, like ghost hunters that has become like oh, yeah. Yeah, it's huge back then they yeah. were kind of the pioneers of yeah. that it was actually a movie with uh, with michael keaton white noise that was all based on, right. on what they were doing i forgot about that but uh, right I, some of those were some of them were terrifying but the ones that really got to me the most were the ones that weren't even so much terrifying is that they were heartbreaking because i remember this one story they told about they were sitting in a cemetery but they were in their car or in their vehicle 
and they were just sitting there. They they were recording, but I'm not even sure if the story was that they meant to be recording. It was like one like one of those things where they like left the recorder on or something. Right. They were just and they're sort of sitting there doing their thing, yeah. shooting the sh- doing their thing, shooting the shit with the recorder running, and this car pulls up. And it wasn't like pulled up next to them. It like pulled up and they could see it like like across a field or something. It's the middle of the night and this car pulls up and they were just speculating. I wonder what that I wonder what's going on with that car. And when they played the tape back, you could hear a child go, it's daddy's car. And that freaked me out, man. I mean, seriously freaked me out because it was clear as day it wasn't the usual ones where it was like you know it was like you could hear clear as a bell this child say it's daddy's car and it's like if that doesn't send shivers up your spine especially again when you know you're alone in your car in the middle of the night eating a sandwich on your break you know i don't know what's gonna you know if that doesn't freak you out i don't know what's going to but yeah i used to love that I think it was EVPs, right? Isn't that what it was called? I Something think, like that. I think EVPs is sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah those those that. were believe them or not, they were always creepy and entertaining yeah. to listen to. Just like the backward speech guy, you know, and and like and the right. with with EVPs and the backward speech. Also, it sort of spoils you too because they tell you what you're going to hear ahead of time. So like if they t- like. But so sometimes they would tell you what they said. So then you'd hear it and your brain would turn it into those. But then you would have those ones like that one with the kid where it was just like right there. You know, you were whether you heard it or not, you you were going to you were going to hear it that way. And yeah. And those were that was that was when it would hit like that. Those were like peak moments of like I can think of like handful of peak did you were you listening the night the guy was like i'm gonna fly my private plane over area 51 and call art bell (laughs) well see here's the thing is that when i so when i when i left working to where i I could listen early like listen to the end of the show which again i'm pretty sure that must have been when i was working for frito-lay um then I, I, I ended up eventually. I wound up in this in this. Uh, it was like a factory setting, but I could I could I was basically left to myself all day. But it wasn't a nighttime job, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that was when the internet was in like its infancy, and so I found somewhere where I could download the shows as MP3 files. So I downloaded like years worth. Um, I think I, I think it was on their site. I think you could back then, I think on the Coast to Coast site, you could just do free downloads. And so I would just download everything I could possibly get and then throw them on to, um, throw them on to uh, uh, CDs, you know, burn CDs of them. And so this was, you know, like bef- this was before like MP3 players and yeah. that sort of thing. So you'd actually have to like physically burn the disc. And then I had a discman, so I'd mm-hmm. listen to him on the discman when I was at work. And you know, so so there's a lot of my memories to where I know I heard certain episodes, but it was like, did I hear that as it aired, or was it something I listened to like later on? And somewhere I probably still have all these discs so with like, you know, years worth of Art Bell and and stuff like that on them. But I don't know. The ones that I'd, I'd most want to have 
is uh, I was actually a caller at least twice when I was working the last job that I worked before I moved from from Georgia. Uh, I was working an overnight factory job. And like I said, I used to go out to the car on my breaks in the middle of the night. And the one I, I know I called a couple of times, but the one that I can definitely remember the clearest was they had one of the big disclosure push guys. And it's, it might have even been the guy, I can't tell you his name, but have you seen, um, there's a great documentary on Netflix right now. Um, Unacknowledged is the name of it. If you haven't seen it, it's no. fantastic. Really, really, really good. I highly recommend it because it's not, it's not poorly produced or really shitty or cheesy like a lot of these, like, you know, aliens of the Egypt or, you know, these stupid ones that you see on, on like Netflix and stuff. This one's slick. I mean, it's really well done. I think it might have been that guy, and I cannot remember his name at the moment. Um, and I liked him. I used to really enjoy him as a guest, but the one thing that he would do that would always make me nuts is this whole thing about uh, disclosure and the fact of, you know, the, the people deserve to know and you know, we need to make sure that this... And, and I've always resisted that. I've always been like, you know, if there's a reason why they're not disclosing this stuff, then I, I don't agree. I think there are things that, no, you really don't want the public to know. Because you know who was it that who you know who is it that's credited with the famous quote of you know people are smart but people in large groups are pretty dumb, you know I, I I'm a I'm a big subscriber to that yeah and I think if the whole thing you know if there is truth to the whole you know the government knows what's going on and all that which you know I, I subscribe to portions of that myself I I think if that really is true that there's some truth to that I think that at least part of the reason they're doing it is not wholly, you know, sinister or anything like that. I think they are doing it with, with, a, with an eye toward damage control, the greater good. You know, yeah. Is, is this something that would benefit mankind or is this something that would, you know, scare the shit out of us and we would end up doing more harm to ourselves as we run around, you know, with, with our hair on fire. And I tend to subscribe to the latter. And every so often, you know, supposedly anyway, the government will conduct a new study like they've done at least a couple of times, you know, since uh, since Wells's War of the Worlds on the radio. They'll they'll conduct. I, I don't know how you go about conducting such a study, but they'll conduct a study to study the the supposed impact on society should the public ever learn you know learn or be told the complete truth and they do this every couple of years again supposedly and every couple of years the results keep coming back more or less in line with the conclusion from the last couple of times they've done it which is you can't handle the truth and so that to me is the number one reason why i think they're whatever it is that they're doing whatever it is that they're keeping from people that I'm sure that there's political reasons. I'm sure that there's other motivations to why they don't disclose this stuff. But at the end of the day, whatever the the other reasons may be, I think the primary reason of we are we're saving lives by not letting you know this stuff. I, I think is the you know it's the prudent way to go. 
But anyway, this whoever it was that was on there, whether it was this guy or not, um, I called into that, and it was uh, it was really cool because Nori would generally, you know, if you if you called up when Nori was the host, and it was a lot of ums and ahs, and you didn't really have a point, you just wanted to hear yourself on the radio. You were pretty gone. quick about shutting that up. You were gone and on to the next caller, and. As I recall, I couldn't tell you the total running time, but as I recall, I was on there for several minutes, and I got to basically make my point, um, be rebutted, and then give a rebuttal to the rebuttal, and that was cool. That was that was quite a personal little you know high high mark for me as a fan of the show. That was really cool, but I I couldn't tell you you know rhyme and verse of like what year or month that's, or anything like that. That's but, the uh, thing. I'd love to get a copy. Of that. All that stuff, is, I mean, it's. I think it's behind a paywall now, but I think everything is archived now. I think there's access. So if yeah. you had the date of it or the name of the guest, you could probably. It would probably be a lot easier to pin it down. But yeah. it's it's out there somewhere. Hopefully, somebody listening to you it. To this is like, you know, such a super fan that they'll that they're already like playing them back in their head and they'll 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 come up with the the date and time but yeah that would that would be awesome <laughs> i would love to hear that yeah i'd like to hear it again because you know that was i'm pretty sure that was pre you and i beginning podcasting so I, i'd love to hear a recording of myself trying to make a, a coherent point from the from the pre podcasting days, and you know, see how many you knows and likes and uhs and everything else there would be, you know, it would be laced with you know crutch words and such. I'd I'd, I'd just like to hear it for that reason. I think well, that'd be on, funny. On top of it being pre like getting used to podcasting and stuff, when you know when like when you go on a show like that, you're on hold all the whole time. It's it's you know, but when they finally go hi, you know, you're on the air. That's like some that's that's a lot of pressure <laughs> especially yeah. you know you're you Stephen know you're greer. going out all over the whole country Stephen greer that was the guy oh, you remember okay. when he used to be on there yeah it's dr Stephen greer that guy i mean i always enjoyed him because he was one of the ones where some while some of the concepts he would talk about were pretty damn fantastic he grounded it because he didn't sound like a kook and those are the ones that I always enjoyed the most is where they realized full well that they were talking about some pretty far out concepts, but they would do it the way that if, if I was going to present it, I would do it the same way they were trying to, which was, all right, I know this sounds really wild, but stick with me and, and see what you think about this. And then that's how he would kind of present it. And I really liked that. Because it, especially if you get a chance to watch that documentary, uh, I highly recommend it because that's kind of his approach is to a certain degree. It's the documentary is centered on him. Right. And how he got into all this and where it's led him in his life. And so it starts out talking about and he's some he was some sort of a doctor. I forget what like a medical doctor of some kind. And he starts out. And he explains exactly how the dots are connected with, with him personally, how he went from this highly respected authority figure in his field and then one day, you know, took a left turn somewhere and, and fell down a rabbit hole. And the next thing you know, you know, he, he's one of those UFO guys. But 
it's fascinating because even though he is now very deep down that rabbit hole, he he's not, you know, tinfoil hat wearing. He's not Alex Jones. He's he's not one of the kooks. When you see him and you listen to him, you're like, damn, this guy makes a lot of sense. And he's not ranting. He's not raving. He's not drooling. He's not, you know, no, he's presenting an an argument. Exactly. He's giving you the facts as we know them and presenting a very coherent argument that is talking about some really heady shit. And I love that. I I wish more of them like that. Well, that's rather than. That's like, but that's like popular music, you know, there, or music. There's lots of music out there. Most of it's crap. You got to dig through the crap. Right. To be, and some of the crap is entertaining. You know, I mean, that's the, the guys like Greer Ed, would go up an extra level in my, you know, opinion of listening to him. You would take that show up to that extra level because, like you said, they would there, there, there were other people who would come on and they just say stuff. You know, this is, this is what this is. This is what this is. Nothing to back it up, or or just like the the thinnest of stuff to back it up, and they would just move on to the next thing. And they were very entertaining because they were spinning a crazy, whacked out tale, but they weren't doing right. any any work to make you actually believe it beyond the ten seconds that it just like goes through your brain and he goes to the next one. So you're just sort of being entertained. But the guys who could come in and set up a scenario and start, you know, presenting their evidence that they'd actually thought about and presented in a, in a logical manner so that it made some sort of sense, you know, you, you would just grab onto those guys and appreciate them because they're, they're the rarity, you know. I right. mean, I was, I was lucky enough when I was a kid that my dad, I, I was able to talk my dad into taking me to to MCC to see you know a presentation by uh, Heineck, and you know and that was and, and I didn't wh- know that you got to see Heineck. He was at JCC in Watertown. Holy shit! He I had didn't a slideshow and stuff. Yeah, I had to be like seven years old, eight years old. You know, that it is was awesome. It was probably pre Star Wars. You know, it was more Star Trek era. But you know, I, now, I, now for the listeners, you you need to you need to give a brief description of who who J. Allen Hynek was. Cause well, he's like the father of all the UFO oh. um, stuff that we have now. You know, he was the original sort of researcher, and you know, he wrote books and but, and like like I saw, he would go on tour. That's... That's the thing with with him is that he was hired to debunk all this shit. Mm-hmm. He was hired, wasn't he? He was part of Blue Book or something, right? Where he was where the government was like with Blue Books we, in some way. I don't I don't yeah. know if he was like one of the. I don't think he was somebody who was like in charge of writing Blue Book, but I think he was somebody right. that Blue Book would come to, and it, I, I I remember he was a scientist. But uh, they uh, wanted him. They wanted him because. He was, you know, he was credible and everything, and they wanted him to basically sign off on, okay, you're the voice of authority saying that this is all a bunch of hooey. Right, right. And it brought him in thinking that he would basically do the job that they hired him for, ended up really doing the job because he took it quite literally and, and finding so much stuff that he actually went from skeptic to believer. 
Yeah, and well, I, I've always thought that really says a lot about it right there. If you could bring in a guy like that, that all he had to do was collect a freaking paycheck, sign off saying, yep, UFOs are a bunch of bullshit. Swamp gas. And he didn't. He, he actually did his job so well that he actually, uh, I don't know if you could say proved it, but, I mean, he he actually he didn't, became, he didn't, like, the authority of, no, there's actually something to all this. He didn't say prove. That's pretty impressive. Say, he didn't say prove anything, but he proved, well, he did prove that there's so much out there that it, it's something that can't be just, like, written off or sloughed off. And, right, and right. He, and this is, and he's sort of, you know, started, I mean, it was basically what, what it was, was a lecture and a slideshow, and, and that was probably his main way, besides writing books at the, in those days, to, to, um get any get the message out and you know you would i mean he was jay J. allen hynek you would hear like there would be news reports about him or something or you know there would he was a sort of known authority on ufos in a field where there were really were no authorities on ufos and uh, he was the most authoritative voice you, and reasonable voice that you could find and um like, I remember, like, the first thing he said is, he's like, I'm not here to make you believe in UFOs. I'm just here to show you what I found. And, right. And, you know, the, and the slide, and I just remember the slideshow being one of the most bl- mind blowing things because all the pictures that I saw, I, I know for a fact, are all pictures everybody's seen a million times these days. But in those days, it was like they'd taken the best stuff from the UFO books you've ever seen and then there were was all this stuff that you'd never seen before it was just mind blowing you know here's a picture of this 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 and uh, right. I don't remember him having any actual like video footage or something I don't think it was he would have had to have like a film projector or something at that time but um you know he but the thing was it wasn't a sh- it was like going to a dry lecture you know, it was fascinating to me because I was a UFO. It was fascinating to everybody there. It was a great lecture, but he wasn't winding up the audience, you know, like people do nowadays. And, you know, coming to con- here's here's some some conclusions I made. It was just a dry scientist's approach to what he'd found in that thing that he'd found. And he hadn't come into it as someone who was interested in UFOs so that you know, gave him a little more, at least on the surface, some credibility. And, uh, right. You know, and I think, you know, he was the C and, and there's, there's, there's people of varying qualities nowadays, but like the scientific method is not the most profitable method to, to present your UFO theory these days, you know? Right. So, so it's not, it's not, you're not seeing many J. Allen Hynek's or they're, they exist probably, but they're just not, they don't get the attention. And, uh, and, and Art Bell would have J. Allen Hynek people on, but you know, I mean, he was all into building up a drama. I mean, and this was another part that I hated slash loved. I did not believe this, but it was fun to listen to him build you know, the story build through different guests and whatever was the, although it ended horribly really was the hail bop thing. Were you listening to Art Bell when the comet hail bop was coming? Uh, I don't think so. What, do you remember what year that was? 
Yeah, was, I, I don't think I was listening during all that. It was the like I would have to say I would have to place it around ninety three maybe, but you know yeah, the comet the comet was yeah, coming and you could see it in the sky and stuff and they had the whole. You know, so at first it was okay. The comet's coming, but it's really like a bunch of spaceships in the tail of the comet, and the the comet is actually also like the forerunner of the planet Nibiru, which you know the that whole thing got set up right there. And as the months went by, it kept getting more complicated. And you know, you can't see Nibiru because it's right behind Hale Bop is kind of blocking it from us. And you know, and, and of course, by the end of it, you had the mass suicide by the weird religious cult, which probably really didn't have anything to do with Art Bell, but it was just sort of put a put a stinky end to it, you know. And they just sort right, of dropped right. the whole idea after that. And uh, you know, um, Whit- Whit- Whitley Stryber would come on every few months and you know his story would advance he's he now i i heard him the other night now whitley straber is is sort of beyond the alien thing now he's talking to his dead wife and that's mostly oh, what Lord streber talks about he's in communication with his wife who passed on like a, a couple of years ago and goes around the while corner. while i while i do think that there is something to the whole abduction thing I I've never liked Whitley Stryber. Something's and me- I I liked his books, but when I, I I I used to read his books and find them fascinating, although not like exactly plausible, but they were fascinating in the right. ideas in them. And then when I heard him speak on Art Bell, when I'd hear him as a guest, I was like, I don't like this guy. I don't trust him. <laughs> Something about him sounds like he's crazy and. In a in a sort of serial killer way, <laughs> I don't know well, if that's know, a popular opinion, but there's something icky about Whitley Strieber. Whenever he would come on there, whenever they would announce him, especially if they would announce it ahead of time and be like, you know, next episode Whitley Strieber, I always had the same reaction, which was, oh god. Oh, yeah. And one time that happened, and I was like, you know, I actually did like a serious self examination. Like, why do I feel that way about this guy? What is it about this guy that I just don't like? And I ended up having to admit to myself that the reason I think I didn't like him was because, and it, this may have been you and I, I forget, but I went with somebody, and we went to see what was the what was the Whitley Stryber movie that oh. that was out with uh, Christopher Walken? Was it? it- Oh. You know, uh, communion, communion, communion. Yes, that was it. Communion, and we went to see it, and what a piece of shit! And we saw this at like the dollar theater, and what a just complete piece of shit. And there was actually a scene in the movie where he's in the kitchen talking to like I don't know, like his wife or something, and you could see the damn boom mic. Like clear as day, right in the frame, and I remember just watching this, going, "What? What is this crap?" I it mean, got what good reviews produ- too. Yeah, and and ever since then, I I was always like, I just had this negative association with Whitley Stryber. So when I realized that that was the the bulk of why I didn't like this guy, I thought, well, that that's not really fair. I mean, I'm sure he didn't really have a lot to do with the movie and mm-hmm. all that. So whenever they'd have there, I'd try to give him a fair shake or whatever. 
But as the years went on, he went from one of those guys where it was like, okay, you know, I, I, I'm kind of interested in what he's talking about to, okay, this guy's gone full, full-blown full cuckoo round the bend kind yeah, of thing. That, you know, and, and it seemed like that happened in pretty short order, too. Well, it was, it was only a few short years, yes. It was because I, <laughs> I read Communion. The book, the book Communion is kind of scary, and he's a horror author. He wrote horror fiction. I think he wrote Wolfen. He either wrote Wolfen or The Howling, but he's, he's you know, had a few books that have been made into movies, and he was a best-selling horror author. And then, and then he did Communion, which was supposed to be his real experiences, and Communion spawned a movie and sold a trillion, billion, zillion copies and made everybody in the 90s want to have alien heads on everything. And... Right, and then he started writing a series of books, and it was sort of he was sort of going like um, Car- this guy Carlos Castaneda did the same thing with an Indian witch doctor, where you know he wrote a story where he was studying under this American Indian you know medicine man who would tell him you know you know this is this is this kind of magic this kind of magic, but then as the books went along, you know by the second book the guy's like turning into a bird and stuff like that and it starts getting more fanciful and you're thinking okay this guy's just telling a more fanciful story to support his idea you know but you don't take it as literal truth even though it's being presented as such and with i mean the communion book started with you know weird spooky abductions and then it was like you know the aliens are scaring the hell out of me and then all of a sudden they're they're completely been benevolent i just was interpreting them wrong and it was my own fears and then i'm in some magical it was very self-serving you know he had been selected to be in part of this like celestial school of advanced people and when you hear him talk he sounds like this kind of whiny prick and it's like you don't sound too advanced dude and and but whatever, you know, whatever, man. But tell a good story, you know. I, I, I like the I like the idea of it of like underneath it, you know, the underpinnings of it of like, okay, you could advance your consciousness or whatever, become more in tune with the universe and all that happy horse shit. It's it makes entertaining and something to think about or whatever. But you know, but like you said, there was just this nagging underscore of like, I just don't like, like, not just like, well, this guy's ki- kind of unpleasant. It's kind of like, you know, <laughs> sunlight. Nah, don't do not like. And uh, <laughs> and when when I tuned into him recently and he's basically, you know, touring around the country, holding these workshops where he, he tells people how to how to talk to their dead relatives and has mediums there and stuff like that. And it sounds it feels to me, it, or with already not liking him, now all of a sudden it feels like he's making money off his dead wife. It reminds me, you were there. I think you were there with me. It was, I think it was Dragon Con, and I don't want to like, because this is just awful. So I don't, I don't even know the guy's name. But the guy was having had a dating service for nerds. Remember that? Yeah. And he was married. <laughs> He was married to a woman who was a voice actress who was kind of in in a famous show, you know, you'd heard of her, you know, and she died right. and he was married with her. And like we came up and he gave us his sales pitch, but the sales pitch, the front end of it was about, you know, meeting the love of his life. And then she's dead 
and now he's got this like you know dating service for nerds and he's already met his new he met his new wife through that and but like i remember both of us were sort of like yeah dude yeah at first and then after a while we were just sort of like you dude i don't know and we, i yeah. remember we both walked away and go we we're like i don't think i'm very comfortable with how this guy was really like using like and I, I'm not doing it justice to how much he was talking about you his dead wife. That. I, I can't believe you remember that. I completely forgotten all of that. But yeah, you're right. I do, I do remember it now. It totally yeah. reminded me of that, and it was just like ick. It's like the guy. It's like the guy who like, um, that South Park made fun of, who talks to people's dead relatives, you know, and. Right, and you know, so you have these people consumed with grief, and somebody's taking money from them to tell them what they want to hear and stuff, and and you can write it off to like, right. oh, they're you know, they, it does help those people, but in the end, they're taking money from them. You know, these people, you know, they're 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 getting rich off it, and it's just skeezy, and so that's always how I feel about. He's still coming on. He's sounding old these days, though, you know. I, Lin, Linda Moulton Howe sounds old when she's on. And I remember it was 20-some years ago <laughs> that I was listening to him on Art Bell. All right, I can tell by the music that it's the top of the hour. And we'll be back with a topic that I was very interested in that used to be featured prominently on Art Bell. So come back to find out what that is. We'll have a commercial break. This is WFRK, Demanzaville. Konnichiwa, chow hounds! Maury Clawhammer-san here. You might remember the explosive taqueria. Well, apparently, plain old authentic Mexican food ain't enough to make you stupid hipsters happy. So due to Yelp reviews in an obscure tax shelter, I'd like to announce my Mexican-Chinese fusion joint, Chimichangs! We took everything you loved about the explosive taqueria and infused it with an adventuresome Asian flair. Traditional, yet completely cutting edge. Now we've brought in a new hip young Chinese chef named Hip Young. My name is David. I'm from Cambodia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He works together with our Mexican master Manuel to fuse together the essence of two cultures, and then they serve it to you on a stupid plank of wood. Try our gut-pummeling Hirohito burrito. Two pounds of meat, or it's free. Type of meat subject to Jimmy Chang's discretion. The hente-inspired tentacle taco. Our patented sushi rito, a rice tortilla crammed with an enchanting and proprietary medley of raw seafood and a side of our fiery Aztec ghost pepper-infused wasabi paste. Woo, mama. Waiting to be seated? Why not stroll over to our bar and meet our mechanical bartender, Mr. Baracho, handcrafted by them crafty Japanese. He can spray your favorite happy beverage straight into your waiting gullet. No glasses required. Tequila from the left hand, sake from the right. You'll be saying, Domo Arigato, Mr. Baracho, as you stumble home. So get your lazy ass over to Chimmy Chang's, 312 Elm Street, south of Monzaville, right across the street from Arnie's Chicken Hall. 
Remember, when south of the border meets the Far East, it's so good you won't even know where the hell you are. Alright, we're back on WFRK in Demonsville. This is The Freak Files Overnight. I'm Chris Honeywell, and I'm here with Scott Gardner, and tonight we're talking about Art Bell. And uh, I had a topic uh, that they used to talk about all the time on Art Bell. What do you think about remote viewing? <laughs> Well, that, that's that's the thing I want to do is now is you know what what subjects were we fascinated by, but also which ones when they came on either either we thought they were horseshit or we were just like oh god. Because I mean, yeah, I, I'm with you on the viewing thing. I mean, I won't say that I don't think that there might be something to it, but what a boring ass subject on the radio. Yes. I just thought it. I, I, they never made it interesting to me. You know, they made it interesting to me for short bursts of time. You know, when they, when they would, like, and, 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 like, the first time they would do it, like, the first time the guy was, like, when Art Bell was, like, okay, how do you actually do the remote viewing? Because, and, and you know, the guy was heading it all up with, like, this, I just want to, you know, keep telling everybody over and over and over and over again, this is not a, we're not training people to be psychics. This is a scientific procedure. If you follow the procedure correctly... You can do it, blah blah blah. Okay, that's that's a fascinating idea. I don't. It sounds like bullshit, but whatever. <laughs> I'm up. It's three in the morning. I'm listening to the radio. Well, it's fascinating bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Keep it coming. So then it was. You know, they had the whole. You, you'd have different people in different rooms looking at different pictures, and nobody could know anything about. Like you know, one person would know the target, or nobody would know the target, and this whole thing and it was fascinating it was trying to wrap your brain around it and going like and, and 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 fascinating to think of it on the context of like that's what we were spending taxpayer dollars on and stuff like that but man he would have them on all the time and once you like um explained it you heard one you've heard you've heard them all and they and and they were always talking about how it was like insanely predictive yet when they would actually talk about predictions they would just give you the crappiest most vague horrible mostly (laughs) turn out to be wrong predictions you know this side of nostril dumbass they were just, you know, they were terrible. So they, they were, and so you, you would immediately that would take even more credibility away when you're just like, yeah, this guy isn't hitting it. And then they would say, well, you know, the thing is, you can't always be right because there's so many different time time frames, and you know, we might be reading a different time frame. It was just like, um, do you remember the time traveler? Yes, I was going to ask you about that if you remembered him. Yeah, he was fascinating. Yes, but oh, I mean fascinating in that I 
think you're pretty much full of shit way, but still telling a good, you know, but that boy, was the what thing a story. is that, yeah. again, yeah. I, you know, art, art really had a feel for, yeah, this is probably all bullshit, but, you know, people are loving this, as opposed to Nori, who, I don't know, he, it's just a different feel between the two of them, I think, but yeah, I... Now, are you talking the one that had claimed to be a time traveler? Or are you talking the the Al was Al Bielik who claimed that he was the guy from the? That's another. The, that's uh, a great story too. I think I I know a lot about Al Bielik, and um, I'm trying to remember the other guy, the big fat guy. That's Al Al Bielik. He he'll often appear in videos with Al Al Bielik. He's down near like Montauk in that area. I can't remember the guy's name right. off the top of my head. But no, the, I'm talking about the guy who came from the future to get the computer, to get the little chip right. off the computer, and was flat out making predictions. Sometimes I, I'm I'm trying to remember his name. I should have I should have. Now is he the one that that just you know he would he would be on there and everything, but then one day he just like disappeared and nobody knows what happened to him. Is yeah, that the he same just guy? Being on, and that was sort of how he started out as somebody who would show up in news groups and talk, and then and they would talk about him on Art Bell because he was a, a subject of talk. You know, he showed up in these news groups for a while, said his piece, and then he disappeared. And then Art Bell picked up on it, and you would have people talking about him on Art Bell and then he called in you know or somebody called in I do yeah and, yeah I do uh, remember that and yeah. sort of expanded on it but whoever called in if they if they weren't the people who originally were posting the person who was originally posting they really got his his voice down they really got the idea whoever it was really did a good job of like whenever they would expand on what he said having it feel like it was coming from the same guy and uh that whenever it was on that topic i was riveted from from beginning to uh and i'm trying to google his name now yeah no i i, I know who you're i know what you're referring to yeah his his story was his story was amazing and and it was amazing in how either if it was a hoax or real how it played into like people's biases and would either like play to them or turn them on their head, you know? And, and you know, I, I, I just remember this one part where they were talking about, you know, what the, the world you live in is like, do you have the internet? And he's like, yeah, we have the internet, but it's not the same. You know, we don't have as many concentrations of people and we, we were sort of, you know, he would say they were sort of living more like agrarian farmer existence, but they still had technology. And there was a whole thing of there was a war and it turned out Russia ended up like sort of saving our asses by invading us at some point. And they were just like, he was just like, how can that be? And he's like, I really don't want to explain it because it's kind of it would be kind of complicated right now. So he just would set up stuff that with enough information and then he would add stuff to where he would leave stuff to your imagination. And, right. uh, and it was a perfect blend, you know, recipe of it to, uh, to just, you know, pique your interest at John Titor. That was his name. Yes. John yeah. Titor. And like his description yeah. of, and, and, you know, he, and 
the the eventually um, schematics of his time travel device were showing up and it was almost you know it had a little Terminator aspect of it where it was like hooked up to a car battery and he would go into a car to do it to go through they the whole thing. They had another guy like that who was the, the Area 54 guy and I used to really like listening to that guy until I was in a, I don't know, it was like a Toys R Us or something one day, and I saw where they had a model kit of the UFO that he claimed that he had worked on at Area 51. And now I don't know today if that guy ever saw a dollar from that, but just the fact that they had that, it put me off him at that point. I'm like, you know, because it, it, to me it was like he sold out. Now, yeah. he might have had not a goddamn thing to do with that model but I didn't really think about that then it was just a matter of oh, he's full <laughs> of shit he's just out there hawking products you know but uh, I can't remember that guy's name either but he was kind of fascinating to listen to because his story see that's the thing is a lot of these guys sounded really plausible especially the ones that, that weren't you know raving kooks you know because you would get people on there that were just Maniacal, you or, know, or just and flakes. You know, the, or, or yeah, or flaky. Or, you know, well, uh, Neil Adams is a good example. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, they would get some, some, you know, some real oddballs. I'll tell you though, on another subject that, and this one's funny because when when you and I were kids, I, and I don't know about you so much, um, but I know Randy. When 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 we were kids, Randy and I, I know, were really fascinated by this subject. But it was a subject that over the years I came to just dread whenever they would do it on Coast to Coast was Bigfoot. Yeah. Because basically it felt like they did they did this one episode that after they did it, I, I like subconsciously I was like, Well, they're never gonna top this, so I never wanna hear another Bigfoot show. And it was the one where they played the Bigfoot sounds. Oh, yeah. I warned you. He said, do not play this around, like, your house animals. And I can't remember where the hell I was or what the circumstance of it was. But I remember hanging out with somebody one time, and they had a recording of that. And they were like, watch this. And they played it, and their dog went just berserk and i was like holy shit there's really something to this so that to me was a fascinating episode because those sounds i mean that was right up there with like the ghost voices you know yeah. those sounds were like just chilling you know they'd send a, a, a just a shiver down your well, spine they were, because they, it they were on that edge yeah they were on that edge to where you listen to them and you think well I guess that could be some what some of his friends out in the woods, you know, yelling right. like that. But then you, but there was something about it that was just not human sounding. And now I'm starting, like, and right. that would be like how they would describe. You know, Art Bell would be like, "I don't know, it's just you know," and it would play up the melodrama. But when they would actually right. deliver on something like that, those yeah, those were. Sp- spine curdling yeah they were just and and you know the second the guy said you should not play this around your family pets every art bell fan was like calling their dog (laughs) into the room just like yeah we'll see about that dude yeah exactly 
<laughs> yep, exactly. But you know, it's it's just it's funny because when we were kids, that was one of those subjects, you know, that you know, it was on everything from, you know, the 6 million dollar man to Yeah, it was a fad. In search of, you know. And Movies. I remember being really in, Yeah, but it's one of those ones that over the years I'm just like, oh God, Bigfoot. Because I, I think the thing is, and I mean, I know it, it's wrong. You shouldn't ever draw conclusions on anything related to the paranormal until, you know, it's proven or disproven kind of thing. But to me, that was one of those things that I, I wrote off pretty early into adulthood as, you know, it's not that I don't think there wasn't ever anything to it. But it's just in the in the world we live in today and, and the world has gotten so much smaller and everything, I, I just I find it very, very unlikely that this thing could continue to exist well, in the modern world, you have, know. Have you so have it, you it, have it, you listened to any modern hmm. like have you ever caught a Bigfoot talker on our on Coast to Coast recently? Because I, I just I did have and listened to Coast to Coast, and it's got to be a good ten years. Okay, so, so no, I heard a Bigfoot person talking, and um, and like you were just saying, the way the world is now, and 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 like I mean, as humans, most of us live in sim- civilization. You know, the the majority right. of us live amongst you know human habitation and stuff like that. So right, it's easy to it to go like, well, how with so many humans and encroaching on everything how are we not seeing this guy and you know there's a good argument to be said that like there's just vast tracts of you know un- places where humans don't go that they could hide or so that's fairly sort of plausible but then why are people seeing them at all so that works into it and then you start thinking of like technology today and it's like they have those hunters cameras right that they just leave out in the woods and they capture everything with motion that moves by it. Oh, you dude, know. they got they got you know Google Earth and all this shit. You know they can they can go from you know in space in a satellite and they can zero down and see Lincoln's face on a penny you know, on but a you sidewalk have to know in where New York City. So. See the Bigfoot with that, well, but still, yeah, that, that's true. But still, yeah, you know, I don't know. I just but that, I, you know, okay, well, I, I, I hate. To, I hate to, you know, be that much of a skeptic, but at this, it, to me, it's like, I think there was something to it. At one time, I think there was something to it, you know, but I just think in, in the modern world that, that we're in today, I just, I don't quite see it, you know? Well, it's like the Loch Ness when Monster. I was a kid, it's like, I, right. there could have been something in Loch Ness. The odds of, if there was something in Loch Ness of it still being there right now, pretty right. slim but there's still people selling it you know but but the man that was one when we were kids that was one i wanted to believe so that and it's too. funny you know when we were kids that's another one right up there with any day now any day now it's gonna you know we're gonna find out any day now and i always believed that when i was a kid i was like you know i can't wait until i'm a grown-up and you know and and we know all these and here we are you know we're I did, 50 I, years old i did a report know, you know? in in middle school or elementary school actually a report on it had to be a dinosaur and I picked the plesiosaur so I could you know basically set up the argument that it was a Loch Ness, the Loch Ness monster was a plesiosaur you know that was I was like yeah I want to do a plesiosaur <laughs> but the the they had a Bigfoot guy on and here's what they're you know some uh, it was probably Nori or, or it could have been Nori or a caller somebody posed the question of like isn't it game over now that we have those cameras you know you just 
where people spot Bigfoots, you know, there's the people who are like, oh, yeah, you see them regularly around here. Slap up one of those cameras. I could come get it at the end yeah. of the month, you know, and go through the footage, and there's Bigfoot, you know. And uh, so the, the guy was immediately just like, well, you know, you know, that's a really good point. The thing is, the Bigfoots just seem to know they can sort of sense technology. They, they are, you know. So now there's this whole thing going that the, the, the Bigfoot are also, like, incredibly intelligent and advanced beings that, you know, they're not going to be fooled by a camera on the tree. They're, you know, they're basically, you know, sort of like... Uh, uh, you know, Bigfoot well mixed with an American Indian film, superhero so. or something, you know, that they can, yeah. you know, they, they, they just know, you know, they just know. This is like my crazy roommate who basically had the answer to free energy. And I said, well, why don't you make a machine that makes free energy and be a zillionaire? And he goes, the universe won't let me. <laughs> it's like, oh, OK, well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, sorry, dude. I thought that was a good idea, but if the universe ain't gonna let you, then then never mind. You know, so they just set that they will set up reasons. You know why right. why that why we can't take why we can't just fly over the woods with drones and you know with heat cameras on them and find Bigfoots. You know, that's part of the fun of it. To see how far they'll go to back it up one, <laughs> right. as as their evidence drops away, you know that right. that that was why when you had a good a good scam like remote viewing, you had nobody to disprove you. The government, it, whether it's true or not, isn't going to prove it either way. You know, if it's not true, the government's not going to even like weigh in on the situation because that would just make it seem more true. You know. And if it is true, they're right. not going to weigh in on it because they're going to see because they don't want either way. They don't want to make it seem true. So that guy's got a like airtight story. Everything is coming from him, so he can set all the parameters. Bigfoot's out of your hand, man. You know, you could be talking about Bigfoot on 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 the show, and ten minutes later, you get you're on the phone with some guy just going like, "You don't know, I got Bigfoot in my backyard every night." We're playing chess, you know, right. and you're going from there. That's yeah, what that, you see. That's what's always going to keep they would get people like that. The people they that would the, get people like that too, how, and that would just crack. Get some loon, you know. Well, that's why you got to say your piece and have a rebuttal, you know, on the air because, man, and this is something that just is generally every radio show ever made ever is. Why are the people that call up on radio shows, are they, is it because the stupid people have enough time to wait like day after day on hold to get on the show? Oh, you yeah. Know? And so, I mean, almost invariably, the first word, the first thing you hear whenever it's just like you're on the air is, uh, art? <laughs> Yep, and then you're just like, well, here we go, another rocket scientist coming on with, with something. But then you get the people who like don't. They're like, I got a question for your guest, and then they just start going off on their own rant. Those are my favorites. And then the guest will be left to just go, well, okay, let me fake something that sort of sounds like this is without saying flat out that you're out of your goddamn mind, sir. 
That's a good point. They'll just go, that's a good point, sir. <laughs> they get, they would, you know, you'd have some very respected scientist on there who spent, you know, three of the four hours making their case, presenting their evidence, make it compelling. They didn't sound like a kook. And then you'd open up to that fourth hour to take questions from the listeners. And immediately you would get some Alabama redneck go, yeah, but what about Bigfoot? And <laughs> right, right. You, you get just, the guy. You could just. You got the guy on. He's a Rhodes Scholar, and you know, and they're talking about, and they're talking about, you know, quantum physics, and then the guy wants to come on and ask that guy a question about the lady who was on the night before who met fairies. You know. <laughs> It's it's right. one, it's just like what the hell are you thinking, man? It's just wonderful. <laughs> I know you like them quantum physics and all, but the lady last night who met the fairies, what do you think of that? Yep. And then the guy's got to spin his wheels and say something like, "Well, I guess you know, there's some quantum possibility that there's a." different universe right they they do stuff like that too. try to make it try to make it you know tie into what they were talking about rather than just going dude i don't know what the hell you're talking about and you know there are so many (laughs) nights you know that that but nori or art bell would go are gonna go home and you know they always come to that like okay this is the final call okay you're gonna be the final caller of the night and you'll get just the duddiest dud as the final. Yep. That's got to just kill their whole. They got to be in the car on the way home, going, "Jesus Christ, why did it have to be that guy?" <laughs> I, I used to always wonder how many interns that uh, would screen the calls would they go through on those shows? Because oh you, know, you know, somebody likely lost their job every time it would be some idiot. You know, well, because they their screening process was, as I recall, was fairly intense. Because they wanted to know who you were, where you were calling from, had you ever been on the show before, what were you going to say, and then they would they would kind of brief you a little bit on all right, here's how much time we're we're probably going to have for you, mm-hmm. um, you know here we don't want you to say this, you are on a time delay, so you know if you're just doing this to, you know say you know <laughs> boogity boo and then hang up, yeah you know. And so they, you know, the, it, it was a fairly involved process. So the fact that you even got, you know, people that were just morons. Well, doesn't that lead you to believe to that, that somewhere along the line they're like, you got to let a certain amount of morons on, you know? <laughs> I mean, either a, just for the moron. sake of they might they be entertaining, <laughs> they might be entertaining, be they are they are your fan base so you want to you know right. you want you you want some other moron to go like oh listen there's another moron too maybe i could be that moron someday <laughs> cuz there's really there's just a lot of people you could tell they just want to call up just to be on oh, yeah. the show so they don't really have a good question or they don't oh, yeah. they and just, it's like they just how to be able to tell their buddy screener? right exactly yeah, they just want to be able to, you know, hey, Ma, come on in here. I'm on the radio, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. So I just yeah. want to say I love yep. you, Art, and blah, 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 you know. And, uh, oh, uh, a question. Uh, what's the guy talking about? UFOs? <laughs> Are they real? <laughs> All right, I'll take, I'll take the answer off the air. Yep. And they, he, oh, my God, he would get 
call after call like that too. It was it was awesome. <laughs> there's some Maybe guy I could have Art on. Bell. There's some guy they have on Art Bell before, and you hear like you only hear an hour of his show. He's on from twelve to one, and I can't for the life of me remember his name. But he's sort of a hyped up version of the Art Bell show. You know, he's a little more like. He's he he'll get aggressive and opinionated and stuff. He's more like a shock jock mixed with Art Bell. Right. And he can be fun to listen to. Sometimes he can be really annoying to listen to cuz he soapboxes a lot. But and he'll just go in a loop in his soapboxes. But sometimes he'll get a caller on and he'll just be like, "How stupid can you be, sir?" And it's really gratifying <laughs> to hear that every once in a while. <laughs> it's it, it, not really. It wouldn't. It wouldn't work with Art Bell, but it it, it worked with him. And uh, maybe Two True Two True Freaks should have been a call-in show. Mm. You really say that? <laughs> you really say that? Come on, let me let me take you for a little walk back over to this place called Facebook to to yeah to show you what yeah, a Two True Freaks right. call-in show would be. Like. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I, I I would love a call-in show. I would love it to be on like satellite radio and stuff like that. So, so where you don't have to worry about getting in trouble with somebody saying something or something, and, and just and and also, it, I don't know. There's there's got to be some call-in shows where they just regularly abuse the people that call in, but they're probably not in a format like. <laughs> the paranormal or stuff like that like as like i said they would not be around for very long yeah it's it's just a i i find myself not as a lot of times i end up having to turn it off because half the time george nori has someone on who's talking about their supplements and a it's just a it's not interesting <laughs> and it always sounds like a uh you know they're they're hawking their their they always have a company where they, you know, they've got the cancer cure and stuff like that. And that, that always drives me nuts. So that doesn't feel like, like the stuff that Art Bell had on, you know, just don't get, don't get me a snake oil salesman. Get me the, mo give me somebody who's barking mad, you know, <laughs> Hoagland. That was his name. Hoagland. Richard C. Hoagland. That was the guy. God, I used to love to listen to him. He was so full of shit, but he he was he was somewhere less <laughs> full of shit than than David Icke, but he could turn a tail, you know. He could tell he was he was like one of those full of shit guys where you were like, I wonder if he's 100% full of shit making the story up like con man or if he's like 50% full of shit and he's covering his ass with some some stuff, you know? Whereas well, the thing with him is that to me what what made him fascinating to me was that he operated strictly during a time pre quick access to the internet. You know what I mean? Yes. So you'd be you'd be listening to him in the car or at work or whatever and you had no way to fact check any of it. You'd you know, have to you'd have to take down of... five pages of notes to fact check him because you'd be like, you know, once he'd have one thing, you're like, wait a minute, I'd like to check that. He was onto the next thing, and there was another thing that you'd have to check. He well, just it was didn't that. Stop. But also, I mean, a lot of like, as I recall, toward the end of when I was listening to the show on a regular basis, 
a lot of it was, all right, we're going to talk about visual things. So he was describing to you pictures of, you know, structures on the moon or, or structures Mars. on Mars and all. And it sounded fascinating. You're like, oh, my God, this is this. Is, why? Why are we not hearing about this on the nightly news? But then, you know, years later, you sit down at the computer and, and you, you actually look at some of these things he's talking about. And you're like, that, uh, what, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like it's a smudge, it's a you know? Pl- it's, it's, so, a, it's a Rorschach yeah. test. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I I mean, I love to listen to the guy. But yeah, <laughs> there's, a, there's a large portion of me that agrees with you that it's like, well, you know, you're kind of... Well, I, I don't... I want to believe that he wasn't intentionally full of shit. I think it was well-meaning full of shit, you know, for the most part. But I don't know. He has a book out there that I've kept an eye out for for years on the cheap that I still don't have a copy of. But if I ever get a chance, I really do want to read it. It's uh, Dark Mission. It's supposed to be the secret history of NASA. I just think it sounds fascinating because I used to one of the my favorite subjects. Oh, it won't be a boring read. That's a guarantee. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it wouldn't be. But one of my favorite subjects they they ever used to talk about on on the show was uh, when they would talk about um, Serpo and anything to do with the with the supposedly secret space program. And I love that stuff. I, I'm just fascinated with that whole thing. Now, so now, what was the name uh, of the the other time traveler guy that you mentioned earlier? Um, Beal 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 that was cannot, another. I mean, that was another story that like asked too. I can't believe I even remember that. But yeah, that, that was, was him. A, that was another story that like when he first well, started... the the Delta experiment to me is is fascinating stuff because while I I I remain non-committal when it comes to Al Belik, but the actual story of the the Philadelphia experiment right. the, itself, I I'm pretty sure that. You know, most of what we we have heard about that story is true. Well, the, um, it, it, well, a lot of a lot of the elements have um, been. I don't want to say proved, but a lot of the elements have have borne up over the years. Um, to, you know, examination, a lot of the stories have been consistent. the The problem is is with with the Philadelphia experiment, is the same thing that happens in in the UFO field is that you get a story you you get a nugget of something right and right. and now this is going to sound like con- conspiracy theory shit but but stay with me here but what happens is you you get a piece and i think that there's something to the piece that you get but then somebody somewhere says okay we got to put them off the scent with this and so then they come up with some element of complete horseshit that now sullies the whole thing. To, to yeah, now yeah which could actually be Albelic himself. It, it, yeah, exactly. Very much so. Because when Belik first came along and first started telling his story, you know, it was it was awesome. And there was so much of it that was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. you know, this is totally in line with what I what I've heard and, and totally more important, in line with what I believe. Because I think that's a lot of the motivator for coast to coast audience in the first place is that you have you know, not to sound like the X-Files, but you have a legion of people that a lot of them want to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and to a, to a certain degree, I'll throw myself, you know, into that ring as well. But anyway, oh, me too. Yeah. So when he, when, got, when you get it, I, I love, well, that's why I love Belik connects not only the, um, 
um, Philadelphia experiment, but like the Montauk project, which is something I'm very interested in. So when right. I hear when I hear anything on that topic, I'm extra into it. You know what I mean? Because it's something I I, I like and not necessarily believe but yeah would like i would like it to be true you know it would be awesome if it was true it'd be very fascinating and amazing so yeah so i'm looking for stuff on that actively i'm just thinking if you were going to if you were worried about secret information getting out about something and and it it actually did get out there so say say you had some big secret that you were trying to protect for whatever reason, and you didn't want people to know about it. And then all of a sudden, some it, it got leaked. It's out there, and yeah. somebody is talking about it. What better way to control that and and damage you know damage control than rather than coming up with, oh, no, 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 mm-hmm. have somebody come along that's going, oh, yes, 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 and let me tell you the rest of the story. Right. And the rest of that story... So goddamn ridiculous and fanciful yeah, the rest that of the anybody listening to it walks demons and going, and yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I, to a large degree, I, I kind of think that's what was going on in Belix's case. Yeah, he started off really interesting to listen to, and I think it, I think to a certain degree it was calculated. Is that let's suck them in, let's make them think that this is somebody that's on their side, the side of the of the believer or the person that wants to believe, or even the the skeptic who's leaning more towards believing than not believing. And let's start a drip where at first it sounds like he's confirming everything. And it sounds like, okay, we're finally getting the whistleblower. But by the end of it, this story is going to be so goddamn utterly fanciful and ridiculous that nobody's ever going to look at this subject again. Yeah. And I think that whoever it is that controls these things from, you know, UFOs to, you know, secret government programs to the the Philadelphia experiment. I think they've been very clever in doing a lot of their damage control that way, as opposed to telling you know coming you know having somebody come forward to go, no no no. Because I think they've learned over the years that you know somebody in a, in a in an Air Force uniform telling you oh there's nothing here doesn't work anymore because people don't trust right. authority figures anymore. So what better way to do this damage control? Then have somebody like a Belik that steps forward to say, "Oh, I know the whole story." Yeah, but and, you know, the 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 end of that whole story is just bullshit. Just, just just for people who who are listening who might not know what the Philadelphia story is, just uh, the Super Readers Digest condensed version is is there's a, a story of a uh, navy navy vessel that they use extreme. Ver- amounts of electricity to try to make invisible and the 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 story is it it disappeared and it may, may have traveled it showed up in a different shipyard and there were weird effects from so, suffered by the people on board now Belik took that story that's just the bare bones of the story Belik took that story and start and I remember the point where I was started to think this guy Bielik is either just like trying to sell is a scam artist or he's trying to muddy the waters here because after a while he started he was on the he was on the ship but and this guy isn't old enough to be on the ship but what happened was he he fell through time and there was a clone of a second version of him made and there was this whole thing and it, and I was start hearing parts of his story going 
He's taking parts of the fictional movie they made based on the Philadelphia yes. story and yes. weaving it into his narrative. That's and yeah, I'm like, wait that's a minute. Where he lost me. And then like a month later he was on again and somebody called him on it and he was like, Well, you know, I'm glad you asked that because the you know, the movie was actually kind of like a leaked you know, the story in the movie is sort of like on the on the down low me, you know, and so yep, the movie sort of based had on me, and it's like, yeah, whatever, and dude. It's going <laughs> you know? Well, I'm bullshit, actually, bullshit. I actually was interested. I watched that movie when it came out, and I knew something about the making of that movie, and it's a John Carpenter production. He didn't direct the movie, but he, like, executive produced it and wanted to do a movie on the Philadelphia Experiment and came up with a plot, you know, of to, to that would play it as right. a narrative love story. And, you know, I, I I just don't think John Carpenter's the guy who had the inside information on Al Bielik or was, you know, and he never mentioned John Carpenter's name or anything. You know, he, you know, he was he was improvising and you could tell he was. And I was just like, ah, geez, dude. Well, I guess I don't believe well, anything here's you the say thing with the Philadelphia experiment. Here, here's the thing with it is that all that stuff was added on later with the movie and all. And I can understand why, because it's a fascinating story, but how do you make it a fascinating story as a movie, you right. know, as a, as a science fiction slash action movie? And that's where they added the whole time travel element and all of that. But the, the basic bare bones of the story as originally presented when it, when it initially broke for lack of a better way to put it is that, Back when this happened, and this was what? This was early 40s, I believe. They had taken this this Navy vessel, and the government uh, was working with Einstein's unified field theory, which draws a correlation between gravity, time, and light. And basically what they were trying to do was to generate... A, a large and strong enough magnetic field that they wanted to see, <clears throat> pardon me, if they could actually bend light around this battleship. And that's the basis of the story. Now, so if you just take a moment and think about that, is that really that fanciful an idea? It may sound like it on the surface of it, but think about it. This is wartime. And during the they, war, they during just World made war a II, bomb from Einstein's using Einstein's theories and stuff. There were a lots, there were lots of things that were toyed with and, and experimented with during the course of the war by both sides that were high science fiction concepts at that time that we accept as commonplace today. So I really don't think it's a fantastic idea to think that our government at one point played with the idea of heavy, magnetics or heavy gravity with an eye you know towards either a defensive or offensive weapon i don't think that's a, too far of a stretch for my mind to to accept and and but according to the story that had dire effects on the crew of that were manning that vessel and you can understand that i mean they're they're toying with with you know, basically quantum physics that they really didn't understand at the time. They're toying with electricity, they're to toying with gravity, and potentially, to to you know, toying with time because it has been proven, it is a scientific fact 
that gravity affects time because our own planet, because of the size of the Earth and the gravity involved in this planetary body, that time distorts between being here on the planet and, say, orbiting in the space shuttle or in the space station. Time actually changes between those two venues. So these are proven facts. This is not science fiction. So I don't think it's a far stretch, for one, that they may have actually conducted this experiment, and I don't think it's a far stretch to say that if they did conduct this experiment, that it could have had some seriously fucked up effects on oh, yeah. the, the men that were stationed on that vessel, because I, gravity and electricity can play havoc I, with the human body. I barely think so, it's even, yeah, there's that, even stretched. I barely think there's that, even know, stretch that, involved in this story, you know. I mean, right. I mean, that's how many? As far as I'm willing to go. How, it, ma- how many people in the army died of radiation poisoning testing the bomb? You know. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. So, so I I look at this story as there's the whole fanciful aspect of it, and that's been added onto it. But when you look at the base, the baseline of what happened and how it came out. Like the original right. book about the Philadelphia experiment is based upon mostly this guy uh, Carlos Allende, Allende, who was supposedly on the ship, and you know saw a lot of the effects of it and was writing writing to people about his experiences, and then then they started doing research into it and started putting together the story. Well. Carlos Allende was a bark. In the the book, correct me if I'm wrong, though, but in the book, it never talks about this time travel thing. No, 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 not not. See that? That's that's something that's been added on. What in in the book? You know, there's there's various possibilities of what happened because Carlos Allende is describing it. But now these days, when uh, if you go and I don't care what politics you are, just pick a political point of view that's sort of extreme. And go to a uh, like a Facebook page where people are talking about it, and don't waste your time talking about it. Just look at the comments, and you see the weird people who write in all caps and randomly capitalize words and stuff when they're all worked up and they're a little crazy. That's what Carlos Allende's letters look like, you know, randomly right. capitalized, random. Re- first letters whole lines that were all capitalizations with underlines and rambling yeah, sentences and yeah. uh but the thing is so so he's telling all sorts of fanciful tales but you know when you look at it just sort of rationally he could be batshit crazy because he was on <laughs> on board the ship you know it could have he he may have been affected by it so you got to take everything Carlos Allende says with a grain of salt, but the fact that he's there saying it and describing it, and then when they said, oh, listen to this guy's story, and then start looking into it, and it's like, oh, wait, you know, there's here's the ship, and here's, here's newspaper stories about this, and here's a scientist who said, and then you start putting together that something was happening, it puts a very you know to me it's almost a hundred percent that they that there was a philadelphia experiment to you know it's a, 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 a anybody's guess if there was time travel or stuff you know there's stories of people when the ship came back 
The ship disappeared. It tur- there were also reports that people sighted the ship in another shipyard on the opposite side of the country. And uh, there's lots of also, there are also eyewitness reports of, of the ship disappearing in its original shipyard. And, um, but remember, that's what it was supposed to do. That it was, was supposed, was to, supposed appear to do, to... like disappeared with the outline, right. of, uh, outline of the, sh- the hull of the ship in the water and stuff like that. So right. um, that, that, that stuff is, is in the super like almost 100% plausibility. And then there's all the weird stuff, you know, people melted into the ship and people like um, most of that could be written off to Carlos Allende having his brain scrambled by being on the ship. But then you get the there's one little thing that's so weird that that Carlos Allende talks about how like a bunch of the the sailors on the ship spontaneously appeared in a bar and just sort of ran through the bar and like crashed through the bar and ran out the door and uh you know sort of spontaneously appeared and then ended up back on the ship and you're like okay that sounds a little weird then they started digging up news stories about it <laughs> there was a you know a, a story in the paper where it's like bar patrons were you know stunned as all these marines came running out of a bathroom that wasn't big enough to hold them you know that sort of stuff so there's there's just enough, you know, we, to the weirdness, to make the weirdness plausible. I don't even consider the initial experiment to be a weirdness thing. It just sounds like a World War, you know, World War II, post-World War II type experiment, you know, that, that we, we would plausibly do, you know? Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's you, one of my Christ favorite think stories. You the Nazis were trying to crossbreed species you know human and and like like uh cattle and stuff so i mean is this really this far out an idea to right. think that the government may have tried you know it, from a defensive aspect to try to make a, a battleship invisible is that really that far out of concept i, right. I just that's don't why, think it that's is. why you want to attach i'll be like falling through time and coming back as a clone of himself you know exactly to, yeah to, if, to if you're trying to discredit the story yes that what a, what a, what a great way to do it is to you know in dribs and drabs tell the story but then go beyond the story with just utter ridiculousness which is what he did because when i first started listening to that and that one i do think i listened to as it was being told and when i first started listening to it i i was fascinated i'm like oh my god this is that story you know but then it's when he started to, to go beyond it into first it was, you know, the time travel thing and all of that and, and sounding very much like the movie. And then even going beyond that, well, I spent time living in the 80s and, and I'm like, OK, you at this point, you you've you've lost me because I no yeah. longer think that you're you're you really are the guy. I think you're you know, you're a bullshit artist at best and just, you know disinformation at worst and that's that's the the thing that like the the thing that tears me about like guys like al Bielik is i appreciate the good science fiction story but at the same time i don't appreciate it sort of muddying up like one of my favorite you know one of my favorite paranormal stories either you know i i right so like i kind of have a love-hate relationship with him but you know i just wish that that 
people were smart enough to be able to use that grain of salt. So where you could, so like when you hear Al Bielik, you go, oh yeah, well nobody's taking him seriously. But then you hear him and you you come to the realization that no, no that whatever the the latest iteration of the story is, that's the one that people are ta- are running with. So from now on, whenever right. you bring up the the you know the Philadelphia experiment, you know Al Bielik has told everybody that the movie's true. So they've gone and watched the movie, and all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, people are time traveling to the fifties and the eighties and stuff like that, which is a more appealing. I guess story-wise, it's wilder and crazier and more fun. But yeah, I'm I'm more interested in the reality of what happened and and all that. That's fascinating, you know. And why? And unfortunately, you know, though, we may never get that story because of exactly what you said. Yep. Is that now it's largely looked at as as debunked and and done and if you know? you're pursuing Ridiculous. it you're per, if you decide to seriously pursue it you're going to be associated with albilic more than than anything else right you got to admit though i mean whoever comes up with these things what a what a brilliant way to do it because i mean that's the model largely that these guys have been going with for a very very long time is um you know, di- discredit by just making it so far out, fanciful and ridiculous that that people will just instantly scoff at even the mention of the concept. I was uh, I was in the break room at work. This is uh, oh, this probably a couple months ago now, and wanted to watch that unacknowledged documentary again. I'd seen it before on, on Netflix, but it, you know, it was, it was my lunch break and it was slow and nobody else had anything on the TV. So I put it on. And now I think that's a really well done presentation. Like I say, it's, you know, it's with Steven Greer. The guy's not a raving lunatic. He really makes salient points and all that. Um, but somebody came in and, uh, you know, there was uh, somebody else in the in the break room at the time who I didn't think was even paying any attention to the show. And this other person comes in and says, oh, what's this? And that person's response to them, probably thinking I didn't hear them or maybe they weren't even aware that I was the one that put it on. But they just go, oh, it's aliens and UFOs. And just the way they said it was instantly... You know, just completely dismissive with with having really paid no attention to it, given it any thought, any you know, no, no, nothing. Just instantly, oh, it's it's just that ridiculous bullshit. Well, you know why? And because now while they that were... really pisses me off. Same rate, I have to acknowledge that, you know, what a brilliant job somebody has done of making this subject and other subjects like it that you know to where the the common person on the street just instantly instantly just dismisses it doesn't want to hear it doesn't want to look into it doesn't want to you know have an intelligent conversation about it they just instantly go oh god well you know and that's their reaction my my i mean if you tell that story something that's the way to what's that when you were telling that story my first thought was like when when somebody when somebody sees a a UFO documentary, the first thing that pops into their head nowadays is a picture of the guy from Ancient Aliens, the meme, you know, with his hands oh, up, okay, going yeah. aliens and his hair sticking up, 
And that's that's immediately yeah. that like they see a video of UFOs on the TV. The first thing they see is a guy going aliens, and then they go, "Oh, okay, it's yeah, it's it's, it's this stuff again." Yep. Yeah. And uh, and that's sad because you know for a lot of this stuff, you know, I I, I think there's a a good portion of it that is that is hard to just dismiss out of hand it's, or at least it should be it's human it's human I mean, nature it, you know i mean it's like from the beginning you know i mean really there there the this the stuff that you would call paranormal or on the edge of of scientific knowledge or what is known is always marginalized but you know, of course, so right. stuff like the world isn't flat was marginalized at one point. You know, so there's always going to be right. something that comes out that eventually comes out of all of that. But then again, there's a lot of stuff that that like true or not true is just going to get ground to the bottom because it's just sort of sitting in the in the margins. Right. And that's what Art Bell's for. Well, Art Bell's for. Well, actually, it's not Art Bell. It's what coast to coast is for except right. with a big dollop of entertainment but dude it's almost we've been going for almost two hours now and when, when well, we were i don't know if this we, uh... what's that hmm. uh, no go ahead <laughs> when we were planning this show we were like yeah let's talk about coast to coast remember we were like yeah you know we might we might want to throw some other stuff at we were going to talk about like the book <laughs> like the Bigfoot books we read when we were kids and other TV shows and movies and stuff like that, but I guess we didn't even have to. Did well, not have it gives to. Us, gives us room to come back and revisit this subject at a I, later date. <laughs> someday I would like to do, and I know we've talked about this on, I don't know, uh, between uh, you and I, and we probably talked about it on one of the other Freak Files, is I'd like to do a whole show on the Philadelphia Experiment and then the Montauk oh, yeah. stuff that, that came off it. Because the Montauk stuff, you know, it, it, it's too complicated to really go into now. But that falls into the area of, is it a nice fiction? Is it, a, is it a real, something really cool that could be true? Or is it just a nice fiction that somebody made up? Or is it m- water muddying and something to d- and d- discredit? I think it would be a great show. And we're also open to suggestions, if anybody has any suggestions. Which they may or may not. (laughs) You still there? Did I lose you? Hey, what are you doing in here? I'm sorry. WFRK is experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by.
If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O. T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S You can email 2 True Freaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com 2 True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.